Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast brought to you by BibleQuestions.org and the Holly Street Church of Christ. This podcast is dedicated to answering your Bible questions from the Bible. My name is Jeff, and along with Brian, we are the hosts of this program. Hello and welcome to the Bible Questions podcast. Appreciate you joining us this week. Along with me, Brian, is Jeff and Alan. So Jeff, let me just start with you. Good morning. How are you doing today? Good morning. Yeah, looking forward to, uh, to today's discussion. Yeah, it should be a very interesting one, and along with us to talk about this is Alan Hitchin. Alan, good morning. Yeah, good morning, Brian and Jeff, and all of our listeners really appreciate the opportunity to once again share with you some of the things that I think are, are very important for us to be thinking about on a daily basis. Yeah, we're going to be talking about the purpose of the Old Testament. And, you know, Alan, it's kind of interesting. I think over the years, I have hear more and more kind of two extremes when it comes to the Old Testament. One is, hey, we live under the law of Christ today, right? The new covenant, which is true. Therefore, what we see into the Old Testament, we don't have to worry about, right? Because we're no longer under that covenant. So that's kind of one extreme. The second extreme is where a lot of false religions, denominations especially, will take elements of the old law and they will apply it and from a religious perspective or even, you know, in their services and that sort of thing. And they do not recognize or maybe understand that with the change of covenant, we no longer practice those things that are under the Old Testament. So kind of an interesting subject in that regard. Yeah, I think that that's one of the things our listeners really need to think about because there's so many teachings out there today about the purpose for the old law. Many denominations, some of them like the Seventh-day Adventists, are basically established to really establish that Old Testament law and, and obey that Old Testament law. And many of the different churches today have incorporated some of the things that the old law has commanded, but God wanted us to understand that when Jesus died on the cross, he became the authority. All authority has been given to him in, on, in heaven and on earth. And the only way to give Moses or anyone else authority is to take it away from Jesus. And God doesn't want that to happen. And so the controversy that Acts chapter 15 brings in when the Gentiles started coming into the church, and all of a sudden, uh, a group of Christians steps up and says, these Gentiles need to keep the law. They need to be circumcised. They need to obey the commandments in the old law. And so they came together. And, and Paul and Barnabas and Peter and James all had a, a conversation there. And at the conclusion, they wrote a letter. And really, this is the first letter in the New Testament. We're not awesome, often accustomed to it, but this was the first letter that was written and circulated. And and the upshot of it in Acts 15, 24 is some went out and they've troubled you with words, telling you, you must be circumcised and keep the law. So that's verse 24. Then in verse 29, seem to the good, good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. Then the four things that follow are directly in the New Testament as well. Abstain from things offered to idols, abstain from blood, abstain from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. So from that point on, the Gentiles were told that uh, you do not have to keep this law. This law is not for you to submit to. This was the law given to the Jews. Now that the law of Christ has come in, uh, we're not under that law. And so Paul writes in Galatians that we should not go, uh, excuse me, pervert the gospel of Christ by adding things from 
the Old Testament scriptures. And again, let me be careful. It's not that the old law was not a good law. The law was a great law. It's just that God wants us respecting Jesus and not giving any respect and honor and submission to Moses any longer. Well, and to your point, a lot of things that were under the law of Moses were brought forward and restated or some, in some ways expanded upon you know, under the law of Christ. I'm kind of with Brian. We, we get a lot of questions to the website about people asking, you know, what day should we worship or, you know, do we need to tithe or do we need to be careful about clean and unclean foods? But, you know, as you've indicated, you know, all those things were, as we'll see you know, a little bit later on, I think, in our study, you know, things that sort of, you know, tutors to bring us to Christ. Uh, but now that Christ has come, you know, we're no longer under those tutors or those symbols or those shadows, so to speak. Yeah, and I think Paul's words to the Galatians really need to reverberate through our minds. And that is uh, in Galatians 5, verses 3 and 4, where he says that you who seek to be justified by the law, those of you who want to use Old Testament scriptures to justify your conduct in the New Testament, he says, you are severed from Christ, and you fall away from grace. Now, those are two severe punishments, something that no Christian would ever want, to be severed from Christ, to be falling away from grace, and yet the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to warn us that the old law is a wonderful law, but Christ's law is supreme and any time, just because we like something from the Old Testament and we want to bring it forward into the New Testament, those words of Paul need to ring in our minds. Paul told the Galatians in chapter 2, the law has been nailed to the cross. It's, it's done away with. And so Christians are looking at the Old Testament, but not as a law, but as something equally important. And that's what we want to talk about in our, law, in our podcast. So many times all we hear is the law is not for this. But we aren't looking at, there's uh, five basic passages where God outlines what he wants us to do with the Old Testament. And that's, that's what we want to talk about in our podcast today. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Alan, how when you think about this period of time, it's certainly understandable that there was some confusion, right? You have the Jews who, of course, lived under the law for many, many years, many of which denied that Jesus was the Christ, right? They denied, in essence, his authority. And when even with those who accepted him, there was certainly going to be some confusion, right, with these change of covenants between the old and the new. And so we can understand why, for instance, they had to have this Jerusalem conference where they had to answer the questions, should the Gentiles who are now acceptable by God be circumcised, right? So that, that all makes sense. And so as we fast forward, if you will, 2,000 years this way, we now have to look back and say, well, then, as you just pointed out, right, what, what's the purpose then of the Old Testament? If it's been fulfilled, we're living under the law of Christ, we've already had all these questions answered about the differences between the old and new law, so then why even have the Old Testament in our books? What right. purpose does it serve? And anyhow, it seems like that's the central question now. Yeah, I think that's right. And, and you know, just to help our listeners understand the basic concept here, Jesus told the Jews that the nation was going, or excuse me, that the kingdom was going to be taken away from them, and it was going to be given to, essentially, to those in the church. 
And we have a lot of listeners from all over the world, and I think we can appreciate that as you move from country to country, the laws change. There are things that are legal in America that are illegal in other parts of the world and vice versa. And so when I'm in another country, I have to be careful to keep those laws. And so while the Jews were under the law of Moses, then they had to be careful to keep that law. But when the, when the nation was removed and they moved into the Christian era and under the law of Christ as king instead of Moses as lawgiver, then all of a sudden many of the laws in the Old Testament, for example, the food distinctions or the Sabbath or instrumental music, were were part of the old covenant they were not moved into the new covenant and so now we're being tested to make sure that our allegiance is to christ and so that that's really the value of understanding the nature of these two covenants hebrews 8 says that it is waxing old and it is near to vanishing away and so we have to be careful with that and so, yeah, Brian, you're, you're right. I, I, what we want to talk about, though, we, we did want to lay this just as a foundation because I think that there is some confusion out there. But the main purpose for this podcast is to talk about what did God command us to do regarding the Old Testament? What does he want us to do with it? Does he want us to ignore it? Does he want us to uh, just set it aside and never read it? Or what exactly does he want? And so we want to start with Romans chapter 15 and verse 4 where God reveals to us exactly what he wants us to do. So, Jeff, uh, would you like to read that for us, please? Romans 15, 4. Sure. As for whatever things were written before, were written for our learning, we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. Uh, as we kind of get into this section, you know, certainly we cannot based on this verse and other verses, you know, completely ignore the Old Testament or, you know, rip it out of our Bibles. Because in many ways, a lot of the New Testament, if you just started reading with the New Testament and never read the Old Testament, there's a lot of concepts and attitudes and principles that you'd be kind of lost. I mean, why are they doing this? Why are they talking about that? Why are they concerned about this other thing? And if you didn't have a knowledge of the Old Testament, you'd be kind of lost uh, in the in the narrative of the New Testament. So I just thought I'd throw that out there before, as we kind of get into this first section. Yeah, and that's a, an important point. Those of our listeners who have been to college, they understand that there are some classes that you can't just jump in. There are some classes at school that require prerequisites, which is other classes that must be taken so that we can understand. And, and in many respects, the Old Testament is a prerequisite to a better understanding of the New Testament. And many times when, I've, when I'm preparing a lesson and I've come up with all of the New Testament verses I want to use, I then go back and start thinking about Old Testament illustrations because often God illustrates the points in the New Testament very powerfully in the Old Testament. For example, in 2 John 9, it says, Whosoever goeth onward and abides not in the teachings of Christ does not have God. And then we look at somebody like Nadab and Abihu, where they offer a fire that he didn't command them to offer. He commanded them, and, and they didn't offer it. They went onward, and they didn't abide, and he struck them dead. Now, that's a pretty good illustration to show how God expected to be understood and obeyed here. And so these are the things that we need to realize. The Old Testament is, I would rather use an Old Testament illustration than any secular illustration, because that's why God left them for us. Yeah, you know, God, I've heard you say this before, Alan, so I'm going to 
try and paraphrase what you said and correct me if I'm wrong, but that the Old Testament gives us an idea of what God was thinking in many areas. And as Jeff pointed out earlier, a lot of those things that we read, even under the Ten Commandments, were brought into the law of Christ. For instance, it's still wrong to murder and to commit adultery and those kinds of things. And so, you know, I do find it interesting, Alan, how much the Old Testament often really elaborates on some of these concrete commandments that God gave us. And in fact, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus helps us to understand him even at a deeper level, right? When he says, you have heard it was said, speaking about the old law, right? But I say, and he clarifies that, you know, to look at a woman, to lust after her is the same as committing adultery or being angry and hating your brother in your heart is the same as murder, those kinds of things. So anyhow, we can kind of see how it fits so well, right? And in many respects, is complementary to what we read under the law of Christ. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. For example, you know, you take the concept of fornication, and in the New Testament, the term is just basically used. But if you go back into the Old Testament and you look in Leviticus 18 or Leviticus 20, and he just goes in and he talks about the fact that all forms of incest are fornication. And a man lying with a man, a woman lying with a woman, that's fornication. And a man lying with a beast or a woman lying with a beast. In other words, things you really wouldn't even think about when you read the word fornication, but when you go back and have God just completely list out, don't do, if, if this is your relationship, if this is your relationship. And so, and, and he does that in so many areas that uh, it's just so valuable to spend time reading through the Old Testament. Well, and I'll just kind of hitch on that comment with a, a small side comment. At our website, under the study aids uh, menu item, there is a at least three different plans of, of reading through the Bible to include both uh, New Testament and Old Testament to kind of give a balance between the two. So I just thought I'd throw that out there for our listeners right. who may not be aware of that. Yeah, I think that's good. I, I try to read through the Old Testament once a year. And every time I do have my notepad next to me and I'm writing down, this would make a good sermon, this would make a good illustration. Uh, but I just want our listeners to think about the fact that if you read through the book of Acts, you find that in Peter's first sermon, it's just filled with Old Testament prophecies and Old Testament scriptures. So are Paul's sermons, and so are many of the New Testament books. They use the Old Testament, and that's, that's really what we want to do in this podcast. So let's just uh, think a little bit about what he says here. Everything written before. And so the question is, before what? Whatever things were written before or some translations have a four-time, were written for our learning. And I'd just like our listeners to think about Hebrews chapter 1, where in verse 1 it says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. So we have a clear before and after. We have an after, which is in these last days, which starts with the book of Acts, chapter 2, when Peter says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. It will come to pass in the last days. So Peter makes it very clear that the last days started in Acts chapter 2. Everything before that now is written for our learning not for our obedience. It was written for the obedience of the Jewish people. But for the Christians, the honor we give to Christ means that we want a New Testament scripture for everything we do. An Old Testament scripture without a New Testament scripture is not enough. It's not giving Christ the proper honor. 
But what God wants us to understand, though, is that everything in the Old Testament, the Messianic prophecies, the examples, the wisdom literature, what he tells us in Ecclesiastes or Proverbs, wise statements that will really help us with our life. And and so a lot of these things, if you compare, you take your Bible and open up the the line between the Old Testament and the New Testament, you see that there's a lot of material in the Old Testament. It's probably twice or three times bigger than the New Testament. And God says, I've left some things in here that are very important. I want you to understand that they were written for you to learn. So they become our new curriculum. They become the responsibility of each church and each individual Christian to make sure that this information is in our minds and is useful to us. Because the books of the scripture, excuse me, the Old Testament books are very important. They're filled with valuable information. The Holy Spirit who can see the beginning from the end, just like God can. And God knows everything that we're going to be faced as the ages roll. And so God knew that the situations that we're dealing with here in America or here all throughout the world today, he knew these things were going to come. And there are things in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that address these things. And so as Christians, we need to realize that much of our opinion and attitude toward the things that are going on today need to be formed by what we read about in the Old Testament, what we've learned in the Old Testament, and then, of course, how the New Testament asks us to apply that. Well, and as you indicated for you know our listeners who might not be all that familiar with the Old Testament, it is an extremely rich repository and diverse Repository. I mean, there are uh, you know, lots of you know material and books in there about you know history of you know people and nations. There's, as we've indicated already, various laws and commandments. Uh, there's books of wisdom and poetry, all kinds of books related to prophecy, of which we can see in some cases fulfillment of that prophecy in the New Testament. So again, a very, very rich, diverse repository that, as you said, has a lot of stuff in there we can learn. And I think that that's something our listeners really need to understand, is that the the Old Testament is inspired. And that means that the account in Genesis chapter 1 is not negotiable. It's not something we can believe or not believe. This is God's account of how he created the heavens and the earth. And it, and yes, Moses wasn't there. And yes, Moses was born in Egypt and was raised in Egypt and had a lot of misconceptions from Egypt. But all of that swept aside. The Holy Spirit wrote the book of Genesis. No prophecy of Scripture ever came by the will of man. No prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. Uh, God created the heavens and the earth in six days, and he rested on the seventh. And God put Adam and Eve in the garden. And and Eve ate of a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and Eve spoke to a serpent who we later learn is Satan. And in other words, as the Old Testament unfolds, we're tested. And Jesus talks about in the beginning, he created them male and female. So if we're going to believe Jesus, we have to believe what's written in the Old Testament. There was a beginning. God did create. John tells us in chapter one, all things were made through him and without him, nothing was made that has been made. And so now we bring Jesus into the initial creation and we realize that he was working as well. But these people today who tell us, well, these things are myths. These are not things that you have to believe. That is false. That is false to the core. And if we want to remain faithful to God and 
trusting in his word, then if God said it happened, it did happen. And I'm going to believe it. I believe that God sent the flood. I believe that God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. I I think that we're convicted on that. When Moses told the the sun to stand still, when God had a, a donkey talk to Balaam, those are not myths. And as God's people, uh, whatever was written before is written for our learning, and it's written for us to believe, because faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Yeah, and I think the faith that you're mentioning, Alan, is very key here, right? You were talking about in Hebrews, where it tells us that, of course, God now speaks through His Son, and then, you know, going over to Hebrews chapter 11, you know, it gives us the very definition of faith, right? The evidence of things not seen, and then in verse 6, it talks about without faith, it's impossible to please Him, and how, you know, those who come to God not only needs to believe that He is, but that He rewards those who diligently seek Him. So when it comes to the talking donkey, right, or any of those sorts of things, you know, we could certainly dismiss it as a a story or something to that effect. But ultimately, as we see under the law of Christ, it's all about our faith and our faith in God, our faith in his son. And if we truly believe in God, in his son, and everything that he taught us through the Holy Spirit, then we look at the Old Testament as, like you said, not only inspired, but something that, you know, God has a message for mankind and he's revealed it under the old law through what we have in our Bibles as the Old Testament. And even on a, on a base level, it just kind of gives us insight into God's dealings with humanity, you know, initially with, as you said, uh, you know, Adam and Eve and their initial descendants, and of course later on with, you know, Moses, and then after that, you know, Abraham, or Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then eventually with Moses. Uh, and it also gives us, you know, insights into the nature of God and his, you know, holiness and his, you know, patience, et cetera, just all different kinds of attributes, as well as he's, if I could say it this way, kind of a, you know, no nonsense, you know, kind of, kind of entity. You know, he, he says what he means, means what he says, and he expects us to comply. We get all kinds of valuable insights. Yeah, and so I'd, I'd like to make a point to our listeners, and it's found in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, where it says, seeing we are compassed about by a great cloud of witnesses. Now, witnesses have a specific purpose. Witnesses are are designed to testify. And so the testimony of the lives of the people, good lives and bad lives. In other words, we can get just as much good testimony from Solomon, who built idols temples because his foreign wives incited him to do that. We can learn from that. That's a that's a terrible example, but it teaches us to be very careful who we marry and to be very careful how much influence we allow our spouses to have when it comes to our relationship with God. And so where he ends the 11th chapter with, we have a great cloud of witnesses, we also have in the 11th chapter many times the idea of a witness. And again, God left these witnesses for us. And so there's two aspects to this. The first aspect is that God is testifying because by placing their names in Hebrews chapter 11, he is testifying to us that these are men and women who are worthy of our imitation, whose whose lives set forth the challenges, the opportunities, the goals that God has in mind for his people. 
For example, Abraham. Abraham is mentioned again and again in the New Testament for, for his examples. In chapter 4, his example of believing God's promises. When all hope of having a son was gone, God told him he was going to have a son. He never doubted. And then, of course, in James chapter 2, when God asked him to offer that son, Abraham got up the next morning. He got up the next morning because he trusted God and he wanted to obey God. And when God kept telling him, uh, you're going to go to Mount Moriah, you're going to take your son up on the mountain, you're going to offer him as a sacrifice, Abraham, he, his testimony is, you can do that. You can do for God what doesn't make sense to you. And Abraham teaches us that. And so in Hebrews chapter 11, we have this testimony. Uh, we're told in chapter, in verse 4, that even though Abel is dead, he's still speaking. He's still testifying. And as Christians, we need to understand that testimony. What exactly is Abel testifying to? Well, I think he's testifying to the fact that we can't add our own ideas to worship. That worship must be done with a verse. Faith comes by hearing the word of God, and it was by faith that Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice. And, and we could do the same thing. And I don't want to get bogged down in minor details because I know we've, we're covering global here because there's literally hundreds of men and women in the Old Testament that God put there for the purpose of testifying to us, for the purpose of showing us this works, this doesn't work, this brings terrible consequences, this brings a great reward. And so the, the one life I have, as quickly as possible, I need to figure out which direction I'm going to go in. And that's only going to be done if I listen to the testimony. But there's another side to this, too. If you carefully read through Hebrews chapter 11, and I'd urge our listeners to do that, because every one of those people in Hebrews 11 is in the Old Testament. And we're told in verse 2, the elders obtained good testimony. In other words, God commended Noah, God commended Enoch, God commended Moses and Joshua and David and Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The elders obtained good testimony in the Old Testament. And in verse 4, he gives us a specific. He says, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice, and God, he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. So. As I say, there are there is a testimony here. There's witnesses here. And God is allowing them to speak to us. And so all of the positive, good things that happen in the Old Testament, they're written for us to testify to us. Here's what you need to do under these circumstances. Yeah, these people that are listed in Hebrews chapter 11, you know, some people call it like the Faith Hall of Fame, whatever. And it really is, I mean, as far as... When you look at all the names that are mentioned here, uh, it's it's such a wonderful passage. And you know, Alan, we're fortunate in that, of course, we have the fully revealed Word of God, you know, Old and New Testament. We can see the finished product, if you will. Whereas all these folks that we read about in Hebrews chapter eleven, as it talks about there, right, they were looking forward to a better homeland. So by faith, not only did Abraham offer Isaac. But all these different people, Daniel and Gideon and Rahab and so forth, they were all looking for something much greater for a hope that they couldn't read about in their Bibles like we can today. And so I've always just admired them for that and wonder, you know, could I do be the same way, right, if I were in their shoes back then? Yeah. 
Well, and, and the key point being, you know, different people living at different times, different cultures, under different kinds of laws. I mean, some, some even before the law of Moses, you know, called upon to do different things. You know, the, the one thread, which, you know, the very beginning of, of chapter 11 highlights is their faith, trust, confidence in God sufficient for them to do you know what God wanted them to do sometime under very adverse circumstances and there's a powerful lesson we can learn today yeah we we have a proverb uh, a picture is worth a thousand words and so many times the snapshot that we have of Abel we don't have much of his life we have one event we don't have much of Noah's life we have one basic event but that picture that snapshot that we have that is recorded in Hebrews 11 and that is uh, that is filled out and expressed to us in the Old Testament, that picture of Noah's faithfulness, that picture of Lot's being vexed over the wicked conduct, we need that today. I need that picture. I need to realize that there will be times where God is going to feel like he needs to destroy the entire world or he needs to destroy an entire nation. And I need to have certain attitudes toward that. And as I say, uh, you go through the Old Testament, the, the, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being cast in that fiery furnace. They have a picture there. They have a story to tell. They have a testimony to give. And we need to listen to it. And so does Abraham, and so does Moses, and so does Miriam, and so does Aaron. I mean, as I say, you can just go on and on and on. Hundreds and hundreds of men and women whose snapshot is in the Old Testament. Just a short little picture of their life. But that picture is often worth a thousand words in the New Testament. And so what we need to realize is that Satan is creating or is, is gaining a tremendous victory when people today who call themselves Christians read about Noah or read about Balaam or read about the, uh, the situation of Adam and Eve in the garden and they mock at it or they scoff at it or they smirk at it. When the reality is that picture is worth so much to you. Don't let it be blurred or obliterated by a lack of faith that these things didn't really happen. They're just myths that were put in there just to cause the people back then to be afraid or whatever. That's, that's just false to the core. The Holy Spirit did everything that is written in the Old Testament. Whenever there's a miracle, it's been done. So that covers all of the positive aspects in the Old Testament. But as I alluded to earlier, there are also a lot of negative outcomes, situations where people die or where people are rejected or where people uh, who were faithful fall away. And so uh, God has also placed that in there. And in Hebrews chapter, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is a great section to understand all of the negative examples that are recorded in the Old Testament. And he starts with the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. And he lays out from chapter 10, verses 1 through verse 12, verse 13 there, all written to help us understand the purpose for these Old Testament Bible characters. So we're reading about uh, the children of Israel leaving Egypt in Exodus going through the Red Sea. Again, did that really happen? Well, Paul said it did. They were all baptized to Moses in the, in the cloud and in the sea. Well, why does he use the word baptism? He's trying to make a point. 
Just as Israel came out of Egypt through their baptism into Moses, Christians today come out of the world with their baptism into Christ. And when they left Egypt, they were in a new situation just like we are when we come into the church out of the world. And so when he tells us that these things were written for our example, they became our example, is what he says in uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and they were written for our warning, for our admonition. So when he goes on to say the things that he does about that, and let's let's just read that little section there. Brian, you want to read that for us? It's a little lengthy reading, but I want our listeners to think about it, and that's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses uh, 6 through 11. Okay, sure. So here it says, Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents nor complain, as some of them also complained, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the end of the ages have come. And let that sink in for a minute, because what he's telling us here is that the Old Testament Bible characters, and there's a lot of them, uh, and some of them are great examples, and some of them are terrible examples. The great examples are in Hebrews chapter 11. The terrible examples are in First uh, Corinthians chapter 10. They were left for our learning. They were left for our example. And then we have to realize that we don't want to do the things. And, and here's where the example becomes very stark. Don't be an idolater. Don't commit sexual immorality. Don't tempt Christ. Don't complain because these events led to those people falling. So that gives us our parameters. For example, when I'm reading about King Saul, I see King Saul rejected from being king because he offered a sacrifice that only the priests could offer. And then I see him being rejected completely when God told him to go kill the Amalekites, and he brought back a small portion of them thinking that doing most of what God said would be enough. And what do we learn from him? Well, we learn, as, as, as it closed, God wants obedience more than sacrifice. He wants submission, and he, he doesn't want rebellion. And so Saul, we learned something from Saul. We learned something from Nadab and Abihu. We learned something from these people that came out of Egypt. And so we're cheating ourselves out of tremendous power to live the Christian life, to not make mistakes, to understand the ramifications or consequences of certain actions so that we don't have to live through it. It's just like the father who's trying to teach his son that he shouldn't drink alcohol. And he finds an example of some young man who killed himself in a car wreck because he was drunk. And he says, son, this is why I don't want you to drink. I don't want you to die like this man did. And so instead of the son saying, well, dad's just concerned about things that could never happen. And now all of a sudden it did happen. And the same thing in the New Testament. There are things that God tells us to do and not to do. And then he validates it and backs it up with examples from the Old Testament.
So at this point in our discussion, we, we've seen three things. We've seen actually four things. We've seen that the old law has not been left for us to obey, but it has been left for us to learn. And it has been left for us to learn so that we will hear the testimony of the good people and we will be spurred on and motivated. And we've seen the testimony or the examples of the wicked people, which is causing us to be respectful. It's kind of interesting. In, in the book of Proverbs, the, there's two Greek or Hebrew words there that, that are very fascinating. The first is wisdom, and the second is instruction. And both of those words are used in the first few verses of the book of Proverbs. And wisdom means making the proper decisions at the right time to bring about a good outcome. And the Old Testament is written to give us that wisdom. Instruction, on the other hand, or some translations have chastening, those are the bad examples. Those are where God shows us If you don't do what I say, here's what will happen. For example, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were told not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Satan deceived them into thinking that what God said wouldn't happen. Well, it did happen. And so I've got wisdom from David, wisdom from Abraham, wisdom from the good examples. This is what you should do, and this is the outcome. I also have instruction or chastening, and that is, this is what will happen to you if you don't do what God says. And so our our study up to this point is we need to learn these things because they contain excellent examples, positive and negative, that will help us at pivotal moments in our life to make the right decision so we don't have to look back on our life with great regret because of the bad decisions we made. You know, Alan, sometimes we get questions to the website from people who detect what they think is a major difference in God. You know, the God of the New Testament, you know, full of grace and love, the God of the Old Testament being a somewhat harsh, allegedly judgmental kind of God. But as you're pointing out, the way he interacted with people back then should help instruct us that, you know, not only do we need to be faithful, but as I said earlier, God throughout the entire Bible is somewhat of a no-nonsense kind of kind of being. Yeah, you know, when God swore in his wrath, I mean, read Hebrews chapters 1 through 3, it says they had the gospel preached to them just as we did, but they did not profit from it because they didn't believe it. They didn't have the faith to believe it. And so they died in the wilderness. Everybody from 20 years old and upward died in the wilderness because they heard the same things that we hear and they didn't listen to them. So is God the different? No, he uses that example to say, I'm going to do exactly the same thing to you. I think Hebrews 11 may be the strongest. I'm sorry, chapter 10 is the strongest one. It says, anyone who sets aside the law of Moses dies without compassion on the mouth of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you think he will be judged worthy of who does not submit to Christ, who trods underfoot the Son of God and considers the blood of the covenant to be an unholy thing? So God is just as wrathful today. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So don't be deceived here and say to yourself, well, God treated Adam and, or excuse me, God treated Nadab and Abihu harshly, but he wouldn't do that today. Oh, yes, he would. 
He says, whosoever goeth onward does not have God. And Jesus said, not everyone who calls me Lord, but only those who do the will of my Father. And he goes on to say, there will be many on the judgment day who will say to me, we perform miracles in your name, and I will tell them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So I guess you can tell, I don't have a lot of uh, respect or really a lot of patience for people who are going to proclaim that God in the Old Testament is different from the God in the New Testament. It says, I do not change. God is the same. Jesus is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. And so I appreciate you bringing up that point, uh, uh, Jeff. Well, and you know, Second Peter 3, of course, we should consider any lay in punishment to be God as long-suffering, right? Not willing that any should perish. And of course, we see that same sentiment in Ezekiel chapter 18, where God conveys that. So, Alan, you know, one thing that might be a little bit shocking to our listeners is this idea that we can actually take the Old Testament to help us become wise unto salvation. And some might think that's strange because, well, we're under the law of Christ, and that's what brings us to salvation. So can you talk a little bit about that, or how the Old Testament scriptures can actually make us wise unto salvation? Yeah, I'd like to talk about that. Jeff, would you read this passage for us, uh, 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17? Sure. Of course, this is Paul talking to Timothy, or writing to Timothy. You must continue in the things which you have learned and have been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And I want our listeners to see this globally and just really savor and appreciate what is being stated here. All scripture is the Old Testament and the New Testament. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, or some translations have God breathed. It's all inspired from Genesis to Malachi, from Matthew to Revelation, every word placed there by the Holy Spirit. And as Jesus told his apostles, it is not you who speak, but it is the spirit of your father in you. And so all scripture is, is inspired. And so the account of the flood, the account of the the creation, the account of the children of Israel, these things were given by inspiration and they are profitable today for doctrine. So I can learn from the Old Testament scriptures and the New Testament scriptures. You remember Peter's words in 2 Peter chapter 2, as there were false prophets among them, there will be false teachers among you. Or Jude saying, Woe unto them, for they went in the way of Cain, and in the gainsaying of Korah, and in the greed and, and, uh, of Balaam, and the false teachings of Balaam. Wow, those are three men we better learn about, because they are profitable for doctrine, and for reproof, and for correction. And no man of God, and a man of God, of course, is a preacher, a teacher, or it can also be Christians. And of course, the word man can also include women in the perspective of we will be complete when we are in the position of understanding the Old Testament, understanding the limitations that the Old Testament gives to us, 
And But Paul starts with uh, verse 14, you must continue in the things you have learned and been assured of knowing from whom you have learned them. Well, he learned them from the apostle Paul. And Paul was inspired. And Paul used the Old Testament. I mean, read through, just sit down and read Romans or Corinthians or Galatians or Ephesians and realize how many times Paul is quoting the Old Testament and making application to the New Testament. And so we all need to continue and we need to understand that just like Timothy from his youth knew the Holy Scriptures, which of course in Timothy's youth would have been the Old Testament because the New Testament hadn't been written. And he says, those scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation. So we ignore the Old Testament to our peril. We ignore the Old Testament to our great loss. I mean, the loss is beyond our ability to compute or to calculate. If we don't know the Old Testament, just think about it. If we can learn from the Old Testament, for example, It says in Genesis chapter 6 that when the time came for the sons of God to marry, they looked out among the daughters of man, and because of their beauty, that's the choices that they made, and within one generation, every imagination of the thoughts of men's heart was only evil continually. And the same thing is true with Solomon. Solomon married many foreign women, and they turned his heart away. And so here I am, a young man, and I'm thinking about getting married. And I've got two women, one very beautiful, but not a Christian, having no spiritual values. The other one, maybe not as desirable in many ways, but she loves the Lord. And I will guarantee you that if you learn from the Old Testament and you choose the woman who shares your values, who will share your training of the children, who will share your commitments and convictions, you're going to be way ahead of what you would be if you chose the beautiful woman who would fight you every step of the way in the way you train your children, in the way you use your money, in the way that you, what you watch on television or how you entertain yourself. And uh, as, as the proverb puts it, it's better to dwell in a rooftop than in a beautiful home with a contentious woman. And so the, the, that's just one example of how the Old Testament can protect us, make us wise for salvation, and enhance our life, giving us wisdom and also chastening or instruction so that we won't make the mistakes and we will choose the right path. And at the end of our life, we will be able to say, I led a life well worth living. Now, there's two other purposes for the Old Testament. I see that we're we're passing quickly uh, the amount of time we have. So let's turn over to uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. And Brian, you want to read uh, verses 10 through 12 for us, please? Here, here it says, Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven passage has always intrigued me. It's a fascinating passage. It's telling us again that the prophets were given information from the Holy Spirit. And they couldn't often they couldn't understand what it was dealing with. The prophets acquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Now, there's a small section of scriptures in the Old Testament that we call messianic prophecies. And they're messianic prophecies because they are, as he points out here, 
they are dealing with the grace that would come to us. And they were told that the scriptures that they couldn't understand that were to come to us, they were ministering these things to us. They were not for them. So we have passages in the Old Testament that are not Old Testament passages. For example, in uh, Psalms 110, it says, I have sworn that you will be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, those people in the Old Testament wouldn't have a clue what that passage was. They would search diligently. What does this mean? How could he be a, a priest forever after the order of, order of Melchizedek? But it also says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make your, your, the, the, your enemies your footstool. Well, that's a messianic prophecy. That's not dealing with something that could occur until the Lord came. And so there are at least 200 prophecies in the Old Testament that are not really part of the Old Testament. They're actually teachings for us today. And so learning those passages, and, and I enjoy studying those passages and, and looking at them. For example, in, in the book of Ezekiel, he talks about the shepherds who did not take care of the sheep. And he promises that under the new covenant, when David is sitting on his throne, that he will find shepherds who will take care of the people, and then he goes in and he talks about what he wants them to do. Well, that's for the elders today. That's for those people who are appointed as shepherds over the flocks of God and how they should deal with those things. And so, as I say, you read through the book of Acts in chapter 2, you've got messianic prophecy after messianic prophecy in Peter's first sermon, and in second sermon, and in Stephen's sermon. And in Paul's sermon in chapter 13, prophecy after prophecy of what will happen in the New Testament age. So there are certain passages in there, like Isaiah 53, where he talks about the suffering of Jesus that were written for us to look back on uh, and to use in, in this very important way. And so we need to realize that. These things were ministering to us. And so we're foolish not to take advantage of the service that those Old Testament prophets perform for us by recording this information. Well, and you mentioned, you know, several references just in the book of Acts, you know, certainly in the in the Gospel of Matthew. You know, he makes a lot of references, you know, back to Messianic prophecies. And I, I think in some ways this kind of uh, phenomenon can build our faith. Uh, certainly if you can, you know, read back and find, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years before the New Testament, these prophecies being made and coming to pass exactly as predicted, you know, in Christ and in his life, etc. So that should be extremely, you know, faith building. And that's, that's one of the hallmarks of the inspiration of the scriptures that, that can, you know, be faith building for us. Yeah, we, we could sum all that up, and I just want to read Acts 16, or excuse me, 26, 22. Therefore, having obtained help from God, this is Paul in his, one of his final uh, discussions. He says, therefore, obtaining help from God, in this, to this day, I stand testifying both to small and great, saying, and now listen carefully, no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come. So Paul says, my gospel, the preachings that I'm preaching, I'm not saying anything that the prophets and Moses said would come. And so, and, he, and then he explains it, verse 23, that the Christ would suffer, 
that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. So Paul says, I got this from the Old Testament. I'm not saying anything that wasn't revealed in these messianic prophecies. Well, what does that tell me? That tells me that I can learn everything that I can from the New Testament, but these Old Testament prophecies might shed additional light. They might give me the ability to see something in a different way and to understand something more fully. So the Old Testament prophecies compared with the New Testament teaching give us a tremendous head start as, as Paul told Timothy, they make you wise for salvation. Yeah, that's such an important point. And Jeff, you kind of touched on this earlier as far as, you know, when you look at some aspects of the law of Christ, if you have no knowledge of what happened under the old law, it just makes it much more difficult. So I guess we could say the opposite's true, right? When we take the time to understand the old law, it helps. And, you know, Alan, as I was thinking about, as you were going through these prophecies and you touched on like Isaiah chapter 53, you know, there are many statements that Jesus made where he referenced the old law, saying, I'm saying this today to fulfill in your hearing what was said in the book of Isaiah or whatever. And so uh, very, very good, would highly recommend if you want to just an interesting study, study some of the prophecies that were given about Christ about the kingdom we live under today, those kinds of things. It makes such an interesting study. So anyhow. Yeah, and I would urge our listeners to do that. Go through the book of Acts, and when you find a messianic prophecy, like the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your your enemies your footstool, look that up in the Old Testament. Look up those verses, and often if you read two or three verses before and two or three verses after, you learn a lot more than even what was quoted in the New Testament. And so it's always wise to go back and look at those Psalms and look at those Old Testament prophecies. You know, in Peter, in in the third chapter of Acts, when he's giving that second sermon, he tells them, Moses said that God will raise up a prophet like me and you will listen to him. Well, go back and read Deuteronomy 18 and see how that fits together and realize that, yes, indeed, even after Moses had completed the law, those people were told the days will come when you won't listen to me anymore. You will listen to your new prophet. And so we learn a lot about that. And that's why we understand that the old law is not for us to obey, but it is for us to use to learn. As we kind of start to come to the uh, end of our podcast today, I think there's one final section we want to talk yes. about. And that's how it's almost like our ancestry, so to speak. So you want to expand on that? Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking at this now thinking maybe we should have started with this. Maybe maybe this shouldn't be the last point. But I, I just want our listeners to understand something. Abraham was the father of the Jewish nation. And so from the point of Abraham on, all Jews consider themselves to be brothers. They had a brotherhood. All Jewish men and women were all part of the same family. And God wants us to understand that's been extended into the New Testament. And so, for example, in Galatians chapter 3, it says that as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And then in verse 29, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So we're told that at the moment of baptism, which Jesus calls being born again, well, when we're born again, we not only leave Satan's realm and become children of God, but we also become, like Isaac, 
children of promise, heirs according to the promise. Matter of fact, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 21, I'm sorry, verse 28, we brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. So when I'm reading the Old Testament, I'm reading my family history. I'm reading history. You know, I, I remember in school learning the American history because it's my history. And many of you, regardless of what country you were born in and what country you were raised in, you know the history of your nation because it's your heritage. It's, it's where you come from. It's, it's what makes you what you are. And so now we learn that when I become a Christian and I become a stranger and sojourner in this world, I am now a child of Abraham. And in Galatians, or excuse me, in Romans chapter 9, verse 8, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. So if we're faithful Christians, Abraham is our father, and I'm reading about my fathers, my brothers, my sisters, my heritage. And so the Old Testament is not as foreign to us as, as maybe we've been led to believe. The Old Testament is our history, and it is our nation, and it is our people, and it is our failures or our successes that we're reading about when we read these Old Testament scriptures. And there's just so many scriptures along that line. In 1 Peter 1, verse 1, you are sojourners of the dispersion. Uh, in 1 Peter 1, 17, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. Uh, in 1 Peter 2.11, I beseech you as sojourners and pilgrims. We, we have a song, this world is not my home. Well, my people, uh, remember Ruth, my people will be, uh, your people will be my people, your God will be my God. And that's what's happened. When I become a Christian, my people become Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and and Moses, and Daniel, and, and all those people, those are my, that's my ancestry. Those are my people. And I'm a stranger and a pilgrim. And so, yes, I'm still a citizen of America, but I'm also a citizen in the kingdom of God. And I, like Isaac, I've become a child of promise, and so have you if you've been baptized into Christ. And so the Old Testament is written for our learning. It is written to, be, to give testimony of good. It is written to as examples of bad things we shouldn't follow. It is written because God wants us to be wise unto salvation. It is written so that we can realize the heritage we have and we can realize that these Old Testament prophecies are part of the teachings of the New Covenant. So I, I hope our listeners can really appreciate now the value of the Old Testament. When we teach, we're not under the old law. All we're saying is, is that we don't obey the old law. We're not saying at all that the old law has no value today. It is a tremendously valuable resource that God has left for us to use. Very good thoughts, Alan. Thank you so much for sharing uh, really what hopefully our listeners understand even more fully, and that is there's tremendous value uh, on in looking at the Old Testament, the old law, the law of Moses, all the Psalms and Proverbs. It, it's so incredibly rich. And, you know, for our listeners, and Jeff, I know I'm sure you'll have a few resources to point them back to, but I also just want to mention two others real quick. One is what we kind of touched on earlier is that, you know, yes, we live under the law of Christ. There was, in fact, a a covenant change. And back in episode 105, 
Jeff and I talked about the change of covenants, and that one was really more centered around why was there more than one covenant? Why was there a change of covenants? You know, what did Jesus mean, for instance, in Matthew 5, 17, when he said he did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it? So that podcast uh, will give you information about that. And then also, Alan, you were, you were touching on, you know, all these different men and women that are such wonderful examples that we read about in Hebrews chapter 11. And I just want to give you a little bit of a plug also where you put together a really nice series of studies on Old Testament characters. And so for our listeners, if you go to our website, BibleQuestions.org, under the Lessons button, you'll see one called Bible Surveys. And under that, there's a section called Old Testament Characters. And Alan, I don't know, you spent months, right, going through... Probably five years. Yeah, yeah, many. I mean, you had, uh, you know, you covered all of these different characters. And, And just real quick, if you wouldn't mind, can you just talk about what your intent was with that study and what you covered? Sure. Yeah, I have, there's four little booklets there, and they're called the Old Testament Bible Characters, and then there's uh, Genesis and the Law, and we cover all of the Old Testament Bible Characters in Genesis through Deuteronomy. Then we have the Judges and the Prophets, then the Kings and the Prophets, and then the United and Divided Kingdoms. And we talk about, in each, each Bible character that I felt like had a story to tell, whether it was a good story or a bad story, I put them in there. And so I would highly recommend that you look over that because it's it gives a very comprehensive overview of their lives and how they're used in the New Testament. Excellent. Yeah, I can highly recommend it. Very, very good study. So Jeff, let me turn it over to you to close things out. So as Brian indicated, uh, we do have other resources at our BibleQuestions.org website. Certainly the lessons that they just got through mentioning, but also in the topical index under B for Bible history, L for the Law of Moses, and O for the Old Testament. Uh, A number of articles, you know, dealing with today's uh, subject and how to have you know, the proper, you know, attitude and respect uh, for what the uh, Old Scriptures, Old Testament Scriptures can, you know, do for us today, thousands of years after they were written. And certainly, as always, we would commend you to, you know, leverage those resources at our website, you know, for your learning and, and for your study. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Bible Questions podcast. We invite you to visit our website, BibleQuestions.org, where you can submit a Bible question to be answered. And you can also search archives where we have answered several hundred Bible questions over the years. Our website also has a host of free Bible study material, free correspondence courses, as well as sermons and a host of other material. Please stop by and check it out.